This is The Road Less Travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. Hello everyone, it's Nikki Shea back with you for this edition of The Road Less Travel, the podcast where we bring Australia to you at home. So if you happen to be listening at home, I hope this gives you some inspiration to getting out on the road and seeing Australia. Welcome to the show. If you're joining us for the very first time, you can catch up with previous episodes of The Road Less Travelled by hitting our website, which is fatcatmedia.com.au. There you'll find season one and two of the show. And please feel free to email at any time by dropping an email to fatcat at io net.net.au you can follow the show on social media through instagram and facebook too and you can interact with me by dropping me a sms or give me a phone call on 042 752 love to grab your feedback and also i'd love to hear what you've been up to if you've had adventures yourself or some recent travels or you've got an upcoming trip please drop me a line and uh, we'll get you on the air and we'll have a chat about that upcoming trip or what you've just done be great to hear from you we love your interaction we love your feedback it helps us uh, develop the series of the road less travel podcast this week we are back in western australia due to popular demand a lot of people have said hey you've spent so much time in wa and this too is off the back of last week's show where we brought you some of the fantastic vibes and tourist attractions and things that you can see and do around Fremantle in western australia which kind of leads us into continuing on that theme as far as WA is concerned. There's so many different trips that we know that you guys have done previously and we know that we've got some upcoming as well. So we thought this week in conjunction with our previous episode last week we would discover a little bit more about some would say perhaps the forefather of Western Australia. His name was C.Y. O'Connor. He was an engineer. He came here to be the state engineer. Sir John Forrest went to New Zealand and headhunted him to do a number of projects that were required to make this place viable given that they were in the beginnings of a huge gold rush. And one of the first projects he undertook when he came here was creating this harbour. He extended and improved the railways in Western Australia, but probably his best-known project was the pipeline that took water to the eastern goldfields in Kalgoorlie. It was a mammoth undertaking, pumping water from Mundaring to Kalgoorlie. 600 kilometres. 113 years later, this is still the longest steel pipeline in the world. And folks, if you have travelled between Perth and Kalgoorlie, most of that journey is alongside a dirty great big pipeline, and that is the pipeline to which we we refer to, the Golden Pipeline in WA. So who was C.Y. O'Connor? As I said, uh, regarded by some as one of the forefathers of development in Western Australia. So his name, Charles Yelverton O'Connor, was born on the 11th of January 1843, passed away on the 10th of March 1902. He was the first engineer chief of Western in Australia. As you heard in the audio, he was recruited by Sir John Forrest, who was the Premier of WA at the time, and was tasked with improving the colony's railways, the roads, water supply and harbours. His two most notable projects included the development of Fremantle Harbour and, of course, the Goldfields Water Supply Scheme. As, he, as I said, he was born uh, 1843 in Ireland and at the age of 17 he began training to become a civil engineer and he quickly gained experience working on railway construction and water control projects. 
In 1865, O'Connor migrated to New Zealand to begin his career in this field. And it was during his time in New Zealand he worked on projects that involved supplying water to gold mines, improving harbour facilities and constructing railway tracks, roads and bridges. This work gained him international reputation and led to his election to the Institution of Civil Engineers in London in 1880. In April 1891, Sir John Forrest, again the Premier of WA, offered O'Connor the position of Engineer-in-Chief, working for the Public Works Department. When O'Connor asked whether his responsibilities would cover railways, harbours or roads, Forrest's reply was, with everything. O'Connor, with his wife Susan, who he married in 1874, and their seven children, four boys and three girls, migrated to Western Australia that same year. In addition to being the Engineer-in-Chief, O'Connor was also the General Manager of Railways of Western Australia, and during his time in this position, he faced much opposition and criticism on the basis of limited funding. Despite this, despite this rather, O'Connor's vigorous research meant that he was able to succeed in actioning many of his plans that he sought to improve the colony of WA. His work saw West Australia's railway system vastly increase with lines extending as far as Northam, Coolgardie and Kalgoorlie. Conditions in the cramped and ill-equipped maintenance and repair workshops were also immediately improved, although his attempts to upgrade and relocate the workshops in Fremantle took some 12 years to receive funding. O'Connor too was also advancing the well-being of Western Australia's railway workers as he vocalised their abhorrent working conditions and this eventuated in better conditions and educational opportunities for these workers. His first major project, which was the big project on Forrester's program of public works, of course, was the development of a modern harbour to be established in Fremantle. The harbour needed to accommodate the Royal Mail contractors whose vessels were the largest steamers entering Australia. The entrance to Swan River, which had been outlined as the harbour site, was obstructed by a large bar. Original plans created in 1887 by Sir John Coode addressed this issue by proposing the construction of an outer harbour. Now, when supplied with the plans from Coode, O'Connor doubted whether or not it was the best solution. And after extensive research, O'Connor proposed the removal of the limestone bar with explosives and further clearing through dredging. And by doing so, he, he being O'Connor, demonstrated that an extensive sheltered harbour with the opportunity for future extension could be built. O'Connor's harbour was officially opened in 1897 by Lady Forest, and in 1900, rather, the mail station was altered from Albany up to Fremantle. The success of the harbour was evident to all, and on the 12th of September, the Himalaya, the Royal Mail Ship Himalaya, carrying mail from London, entered the inner harbour and berthed. For his work on Fremantle Harbour, O'Connor was invited to London, where he was inducted as a Companion of the Order of St Michael and St George. Now, according to local Aboriginal creation time, the Noongar people, the mouth of the Swan River is the place where a serpent creation being fought, a crocodile spirit was used, and the crocodile's tail was used to separate fresh water from salt water. This tail was the rocky limestone bar that stretched across the mouth of the Swan River to form the estuary and being shallow, it was a good crossing point for Aboriginal men. 
After the bar of rock was removed by O'Connor in accordance with the harbour plans, only a small part of the tail remains. Now, with the gold discoveries in Western Australia in the 1890s, this attracted thousands of miners, immigrants and new settlers, and the population boom meant that by the mid-1890s, over 40% of Western Australia's population lived on the eastern gold fields. The significant lack of rainfall and an absence of large quantities of fresh water meant that these communities were left to live in inadequate and unsanitary living conditions. Between 1896 and 1898, the goldfields had a death rate of 16 per thousand, largely due to the prevalence of typhoid fever. In 1894 and 1895, O'Connor completed details of a plan to construct a 560-kilometre pipeline that would pump water from Mundaring to the goldfields. The pipeline would be capable to supply these communities with more than 20 million litres of water each day. The magnitude of this project led to significant opposition and criticism in Parliament regarding its practicability. The cost of constructing the pipeline would be equal to the colony's entire annual budget. And after much debate and delay, the scheme was finally granted funding and permission in 1898. And work on the pipeline was successfully completed in 1903, and the Premier's wife, Lady Forrest, started pumping machinery at an official ceremony on the 22nd of January of that year. And the pipeline, as we heard in the introduction, is still in use today and regularly maintained. Now, the Goldfields Water Supply Scheme received a significant amount of unwarranted criticism, particularly from the media. It was absolutely cruel. The unrelenting criticism, the delays and the lack of funding and cooperation finally took its toll on O'Connor when he chose to take his own life on the 10th of March 1902. That morning, he took his customary early morning horse ride past Fremantle Harbour, then to south onwards to Rob Jetty. Once there he rode his horse into the sea and he shot himself. O'Connor unfortunately did not live to see the successful completion of his Goldfields water supply scheme. O'Connor found his recreation in horse riding was a reputedly delightful and he also was a reputedly delightful host and was patron of several sports clubs in Fremantle. He was known as a compassionate man with an innate sense of justice. Pride in his work and devotion to his family characterised the man who achieved brilliant civil engineering feats and was, according to his private secretary, a genius and a man of extraordinary foresight. O'Connor's two most notable engineering projects in WA are commemorated with statues. One is in Fremantle, uh, looking out over the harbour that he actually created, and a bust at Mundaring Weir, which commemorates a key part of the pipeline project. In 2009, the American Society of Civil Engineers named the Goldfields Pipeline an International Historic Civil Engineering Landmark. At the time of its opening, the project was the largest engineering undertaking of its time. The amount of steel used in construction was greater than any steel structure anywhere else in the world and never before had water been successfully pumped so far or lifted so high. The Goldfields Pipeline is also listed on the National Heritage List as it continues to generate billions of dollars in economic activity. Despite a decline in the production of gold, the regular supply of water to the Goldfields meant that agriculture too was also able to prosper. Now today, Western Australia's wheat fields are the most productive in Australia, accounting for 42% of the nation's wheat crop. In addition to this, 6 million sheep rely on the water that the pipeline carries to uh, the goldfields in Western Australia.
To gain a little bit more understanding about the man of uh, who C.Y. O'Connor actually was, we need to divulge back and sort of go over a few little bits and pieces. When he came to uh, Australia, or when he came to Western Australia, he was immediately in the deep end when he arrived. Uh, Work had piled up and urgent requests to get the railways and Fremantle port sorted out were already filling his intro when he first sat down sort of behind his desk. He was regarded as the new boy in town, an outsider, and he had a heck of a lot of responsibility and a lot of power too when it came to handing out contracts for public works. There was an established old boys network at the time in Perth and a strong distrust of the other siders who was anyone not from the local establishment. So for a start, he was Irish and he'd been over in New Zealand. So O'Connor too brought in staff that he knew and trusted. And these were men who had worked for him in New Zealand, so that got people offside. His choices were made because these were men that he knew he could rely on and there was simply no one in WA with the experience or the qualifications to fill the position. The Minister for Railways actually defended O'Connor's choice of staff and was to stand by the this chief engineer for as long as he remained minister. O'Connor's choice of staff too was seen by local interests as favouring outsiders over locals and when O'Connor started handing out contracts based on the best price rather than who, who was tendering, feathers got even more ruffled. The fact that one of the first contracts went to the Wilkie brothers who were New Zealanders infuriated a number of people. In reality, though, theirs was the lowest tender, £13,000 less than the nearest tender, and they completed the job nine months early. Now, although John Forrest, who was always one of O'Connor's staunchest allies, it was his brother Alexander Forrest who was strongly critical of the new chief engineer. In one tirade directed at O'Connor, Alexander Forrest said, In ten years' time, we may as well hand over the whole colony to this gentleman from New Zealand, who will no doubt show us how to spend our money. Alexander Forrest went on to falsely claim, under parliamentary privilege, that O'Connor had been dismissed in New Zealand. Later, Alexander Forrest was forced to admit that O'Connor had a beneficial impact on the state's railways and that they had greatly improved. As we know, Fremantle Harbour was his first major undertaking and it took five years to complete. The original proposal was for the harbour to be built from some distance south of the mouth of the Swan River at Owen Anchorage. But as we know, this was neither practical in the long term or even safe in the short term. Originally, even John Forrest favoured this location, but slowly his mind was changed as O'Connor presented the facts relating to the long-term viability of the harbour. Now, when the motion for Owen Anchorage was defeated in Parliament, John Forrest graciously accepted the advice from O'Connor and put his weight behind the project. During the Harbour project, there were more claims that O'Connor was filling positions with too many New Zealanders. When this was checked by the Minister, there was found to only be 11 New New Zealanders out of a workforce of 173. You're listening to the Road Less Travelled Podcast with me, Nikki Shea. Now, history tells us that O'Connor first suggested the idea of a pipeline to the goldfields in 1895, but opposition was so strong that he took it till, until 1898 to get approval. Even when the project finally got underway, he was subjected to public ridicule, mostly by the press. Nothing has really changed there. And it was the unrelenting pressure that led to his suicide in 1902. 
It is now well known that the pipeline was completed the following year and the supply of fresh water guaranteed the survival not only of Kalgoorlie but many other towns along the pipeline's route. O'Connor was not to know it at the time, but the dismissal of Venn by John Forrest in 1896, H. Whittle Venn was one of the ministers, this was the first gathering of clouds on his horizon. He had lost an important ally and would lose more before having to face the storms ahead alone. The scheme to build a pipeline 329 miles from Mundaring to Coolgardie was an astounding one. Mundaring sits just 340 feet above sea level, while Coolgardie is 1,400 feet above sea level, and water would have to be pumped uphill most of the way. The project was both massive in engineering terms and in terms, too, of financially what it would cost, but if successful, it would undoubtedly make the engineer responsible for it certainly world-famous. O'Connor was said to have been too keen to make a name for himself and was putting the state into debt to get the project accepted and make himself rich. He was criticised for understating their rainfall in the goldfields and for not considering other ideas like dams. The fact, though, was that the rainfall figures he presented turned out to be correct and he had considerable dams but the rainfall there was just too low, the the evaporation rate too high and the ground was just unsuitable of holding water. O'Connor submitted plans for the water scheme to a panel of experts in London in 1897 where three British engineers commended the scheme as entirely practical. Despite this, opposition to the pipeline continued in WA. New claims that the pipeline was not O'Connor's idea were backed up by O'Connor himself who tried to distance himself from the popular belief that he was the originator of the idea. In view of this, the Sunday Times newspaper that went on to hound poor O'Connor to his untimely death, writing articles about O'Connor's fancy project, had an awful lot to answer for. In one libelous attack, the Sunday Times wrote of O'Connor, This shire engineer from New Zealand has absolutely flourished on palm grease. This man has exhibited such gross blundering or something worse in his management of great public works that is by no means exaggerated that he has robbed the taxpayer of this state out of millions. In 1901, when John Forrest left state politics to join the federal arena and the Minister of Defence, he asked O'Connor to compile a report on a transcontinental railway line from Kalgoorlie to Port Augusta in South Australia. On the 19th of May, O'Connor presented the plans and estimates, and in 1902, O'Connor went to South Australia to advise the government there on an outer harbour for Adelaide. All the while, the criticism in WA continued and it was unrelenting. There were claims that O'Connor was corrupt or or profited in any way from his office. They have since been proven to be total fabrications. And when he died, he was a poor man, but for a small life insurance policy, his family would have been destitute. So with an incredible workload, heavy responsibility and continuing pressure from his critics, his mental health began to suffer and this brilliant professional man who had achieved so much now began to question his own ability to complete the works. He had a difficult time doing simple sums, he would fall silent or switch topics during conversations and showed all the signs of falling into a deep depression. His allies, Venn and John Forrest, had moved on. Even his doctor, who may have been able to avert disaster, was away at the time. On the 18th, on the 8th rather, of March 1902, a successful preliminary pumping test of six miles of the water main that ran over the most difficult part of the goldfields water route was carried out. There was a small leak which was found near Chidlow's well and O'Connor had arranged to visit and inspect the pipe on the following Monday. 
but apparently the mounting pressure and lack of support had simply become too much for O'Connor to bear. Attacked at every turn and facing one inquiry after another, his spirit finally broke. We'll come back on the Road Less Travel podcast in just a moment and we will follow the Coolgardie or Mundaring to Coolgardie scheme that CY O'Connor created. More on the Road Less Travel in just a moment. Fat Cat Media has over 25 years within motorsport media and marketing. Fat Cat Media has the proven knowledge and expertise to help your next event. We have a variety of services available. They are including West MX Coaching and Development Schools, where we conduct schools and clinics across various metropolitan and country clubs throughout Australia. We cater our motocross coaching for beginners right through to intermediate junior riders. The coaching clinics are solely created and catered and also designed for smaller numbers to effectively support each rider and hone in on their particular requirements. Whilst our schools are designed for two days right through to five-day camps, with multiple Motorcycling Australia accredited coaches giving individual coaching, drills, training, development and feedback throughout the duration. Our prices for coaching start at $150. With consultancy and advice, Fat Cat Media creates and caters for a variety of platforms, whether it be as a racer or for those within the motorcycle and motorsport industry. Have you considered the future? It is important to focus on what's ahead. Well, is it? Absolutely yes. How do you expect to move forward if you have no benchmark, no goals, no achievements and no strategic plan and direction on how to achieve your goals in the industry? It's mind-bogglingly crazy how folks will fork out thousands of dollars on motocross bikes, equipment and gear, yet have no clear plan on how to execute, execute their racing gear. Prices start at $130. Be inspired with our seminars and motivational speaking. We really enjoy and receive a lot of satisfaction and overwhelming feedback in conducting seminars. This involves giving motivational speeches and inspiring people to challenge themselves and become better at what they want to become better at. Relying on years in the media plus a life-changing health issue, Nikki will challenge and transform her audiences. If you truly and honestly want to help someone reach their true potential, stop answering all their questions and solving all their problems. Prices start at $130. With over 15 years commentating throughout Western Australia and Australian motocross and motorsports, Fat Cat Media prides itself on providing sound industry knowledge plus versatile media experiences and our commentators can interpret what's happening on and off the track with reliable information obtained from within the industry, when it happens and as it happens. Fat Cat Media's trackside commentators have the ability to develop a perspective on the subject through research, experience, interviews and of course by attending events. Prices start at $150. Do you have a race resume? Step one of obtaining sponsorship is a race resume and write a biography. Take advantage of our professional writing and massive mailing list of media outlets and sporting companies. You can complement this with professional photography, video or audio clips to send out to potential sponsors or partners. Whilst we do not go out and obtain sponsorship for you, a race resume is the first step for you to build relationships and foster ongoing partnerships with potential sponsors. Prices start at $150. For further information, head to fatcatmedia.com.au or drop us an email, fatcat at iinet.net.au. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travel podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. You're listening to the Road Less Travelled podcast 
with Nikki Shea. Welcome back. This week we're talking about not only Seaway O'Connor in Western Australia, but the Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail, which is an adventure into the Wild West, journeying from Perth to Kalgoorlie. The Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail takes you on Western Australia's eastern gold fields, of course, rich in gold, gold rush history and scenery, revealing the story of a unique engineering feat that we've just been talking about. As I said, um, it was uh, travel on the old goldfields road along with fortune seekers rushed in the 1890s. And along this trail, as explorers yourself, you can stop and explore where they stopped to rest and fill their water bags. Prospect- prospectors learned that water was more precious than gold. Some died of thirst and a scheme was devised to deliver water further and higher than ever before to supply the goldfields. Now this Goldfields Pipeline Heritage Trail, it's well signposted. There's plenty of interactive interpretation sites along the way and follows this life-giving water east from its source in the forested Perth Hills through the golden expanses of the wheat belt of WA to the gold boom town of Kalgoorlie. It's an easy 650-kilometre trip and it's ideal for motorists who have a couple of days or maybe even more to explore the history, the hospitality and the horizons of the Golden Pipeline country. And there's plenty for you to do when you get out of your car. The 100-year-old pumping stations, there's remote sites where workers live to keep the water flowing, walk trails around massive granite outcrops and there's 25 interpretive sites in all. The Golden Pipeline Trail begins only three quarters of an hour east of Perth at scenic Mundaring Weir. So day one you can do from Perth to Meriden. I sort of broke it up in sections to make it a little bit more easier. And when you have a a smaller section of travelling to do, it gives you more time for exploring. So day one, Perth to Meriden, it's about 260 kilometres, just just over three and a half to four hours for that trip. From Mundaring, you can visit the sites of the former steam-driven pump stations along O'Connor's water pipeline, built over 100 years ago and still the longest freshwater pipeline on Earth. Just have a listen to that. Still the longest freshwater pipeline on Earth. You can enjoy scenic farmscapes too, heading into the Wheatbelt area of WA. You can cross the Meckering Earthquake Fault Line and visit the Memorial Rose Garden there at Meckering. You can do a stop at the Cunderdon Museum Number no. 3 pump station. That is a must for pipeline history, as is the Meriden Peak Reserve and the Railway Dam. You can visit, too, the Meriden Military or Railway Museum or a show or tour of historic Cummins Theatre. You can see Meriden's CBH silo artwork and the, th- the third of Forms public silo art trail too. We might talk a little bit about more. That's coming a little bit more pre- prevalent now, isn't it, to silo artwork in the um, wheat areas all around Australia. Day two, Meriden to Kalgoorlie, 340 k's, and again, just under four hours, three and a half to four hour um, by car. You can head east, well, you do, you head east across the rabbit-proof fence at Burracoppin, where you can visit the Hood Pen Museum at Westonia and the Yilgarn History Museum at Southern Cross, where gold was discovered in the late 1800s. There's a rock catchment and timber and iron aqueduct, too, at the Caralee Rock and Dam Storage, which was essential for the steam trains. You can also camp there, too. Coolgardie's heritage buildings there's wide streets and museums which really capture history and time a few days in Kalgoorlie to spend taking in its gold mining history magnificent architecture local museums and attractions and day three you can go 
Dubigui, day three, Kalgoorlie back to Perth, 600 k's or seven uh, seven hours, I think it's about eight and eight hours, um, with a return to Perth, perhaps south to Norseman, where you can take the unsealed granite woodlands discovery trail through untouched uh, temperate woodlands too, via Wave Rock and Hyden, or you can return along the Great Eastern Highway and take the Pioneers Pathway from Meriden to 2J. For more information on this, you can jump onto the website, which is goldenpipeline.com.au, and there's another ripping, I'll talk about that in just a moment, but make sure you enjoy a safe and well-planned journey. Take a look at the travel times and distances, road safety, and important travels travel tips too and if you've got your own camping gear or caravan in tow you can check out there's plenty of caravan parks and camping sites available too in this particular area if you're taking the golden pipeline heritage trail to kalgoorlie why not spend a few days whilst you're there exploring the golden quest discovery trail which we've talked about in previous episodes of the road less traveled too but there is a fantastic website called goldenpipeline.com.au and it takes you through you can download i've just jumped on there quickly now while i'm talking to you, you can jump on and you can find out the scheme how it works the people behind it the water and land um, your own particular journey and you can get involved with the national trust because the national trust actually is in control control but they head up the golden pipeline um, and driving through the forested hills that uh, surround mundaring weir which is number one it's really easy to imagine conditions at the other end of the heritage trail on the flat waterless plains of the eastern goldfields and it's easy too to forget that the crucial role that water played in this early development of settlement and the agriculture as the country started to really open up the classic wheat built country with um, large open vistas and gentle rolling hills and as always driving through not only just the golden pipeline country but other areas of course takes you to various isolated areas they may or may not be phone signal make sure you plan ahead to ensure your experience is safe and enjoyable and of course make sure that your vehicle is well aware of, of the different terrain that you may take because some roads are unsealed now sites associated with the scheme are easily ex Put a sentence together access nikki thank you from great eastern highway the highway grew from a track cut through the bush by prospectors rushing to find gold in cool guardian later kalgoorlie the railway line followed the route of the track and the pipelines in turn largely followed the railway line where a site is distanced from Great Eastern Highway and or on a sun uh, on a sun, unsealed road, this is actually noted, so there's plenty of signs. Make sure you take your time. Did you know a drop of water that leaves Mundaring Weir, the source of supply for the parched goldfields, can take one to two weeks to reach its destination? Now, may, while you might not be able to spend as long as your journey, give yourself plenty of time to explore the country and, as I mentioned earlier, the pipeline history. A range of accommodation is available at the various towns. Make sure you follow the signs. You can see the signs featuring the Golden Pipeline logo. That directs you to the sites associated with the water supply scheme and these um, such sites as the original pumping station. Sites have two information signs explaining the significance and some have self-guided walk trails signposted by steel posts with directional arrows. And why not ask the locals? You can ask the locals about the attractions at the town you pass through. Some have dedicated visitor centres that you can pop into or into the local shire offices. They also recommend um, areas that may increase your understanding of the dire need for a reliable source of water. Hunts, wells and dams, for example, constructed in the mid-1860s, these were a lifeline for prospectors who cycled, walked or rode from one to the next. Or you might be directed to a granite 
outcrop harvested for water prior to the pipeline being built, such as at Calabaran or Meriden, and Mundaring too has Lake Leshenalta built for steam trains. So there's so many different little things that you'll hear regarding the Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail, and that is between Mundaring and Kalgoorlie, or if you want to do it from Kalgoorlie, back to Mundaring. That is some of... Uh, the best country that you'll see in Western Australia and why not try your luck at prospecting or jump back onto one of our previous episodes where you can learn more about Kalgoorlie and I hope that this week giving you a little bit of an outlook on what life was like in the 1890s and in particular to the Chief Engineer of Western Australia in Seaway O'Connor. As I said in the introduction, many see him as the forefather of development uh, in Western Australia and just the significant contribution that he made to the state of WA um, with the Fremantle Harbour, the railway system in Western Australia, other little bits and pieces that he did too, but the major one that unfortunately he didn't live to see was the uh, transportation of water from Mundaring to Kalgoorlie. That wraps up this edition of the Road Less Travel podcast. Trust that you've enjoyed it, and I really hope to hear back from you on some of your adventures that you've been up to, and I hope too to catch you somewhere out there on the road. My name's Nikki Shea. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travel is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media.